Howdy, friends. You're listening to teaching from our college ministry here at FBC Bryan. We hope you enjoy this message from our college pastor, John Davison, as we journey through the book of 2 Timothy. If you have any questions, please reach out through social media, or you can visit our website at fbcbryan.org college. We hope you enjoy. Amen. Thanks. Hey, grab your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, glad you're here. Juan, thanks for hanging out with us. Those potatoes, top notch, if y'all got some of those. They look like a, like a prehistoric creature, um, but they, they eat well. Um, we're wrapping up our journey through 2 Timothy tonight, and the next week uh, is kind of ascending. There's a lot of mission stuff wrapped in that. We get to honor our, our graduates next week, uh, kind of sad, um, but also exciting as they get sent out. There's a lot going on. Oh, you guys are starting finals, and we got all kinds of stuff happening, study nights and, and all that. Hey, you got to start them in order to finish them, okay? And so just part of it, just, just push through, all right? But we're, we're here at the end, and one of the cool things, this is not accidental um, on God's part. It is accidental on our part, but this is how the Holy Spirit often functions um, in our planning and in our preparation. We had laid out the series of the 12, and, and the Lord knew who those 12 were, those, those apostles. They've been that way for a long time, and we were walking through them, and I don't even know how we decided the order. I think the order got changed throughout the semester as people were like, hey, I can speak on this day. I can't speak on this day. And they'd flip some things around. And so I end up with, with Andrew uh, this morning, if you were here with us. And Andrew's life kind of really uh, points us in a cool direction with what we see at the end of 2 Timothy and what Paul does here on his way off of this planet and what he encourages us towards. Okay, so let's just be rem- reminded of what Paul's, what's happening here. This is Paul's last letter. So I know Titus happens after this, but he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus at the same time. So 2 Timothy is the end. He knows that he's been sentenced to death. He knows that the end is near. And so these words are kind of his like, hey, this is the most important things to me. He's encouraging his brother Timothy, calls him his son in the midst of this. Like you, you have a charge to lead a church, and it's a difficult church to lead, but here's some things that you need to put before you. Um, hold God's word just near to you. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Allow Christ to lead you well. Reflect that. Um, make sure that the gospel is being preached often um, and care for your people. And he pushes them all the way through that. And then he ends in chapter 4, starting in verse 9. I know we, we talked about those attributes that he gave to Timothy or he challenged Timothy with. In Bible study, if you're there this week, you talked about Paul's um, attributes that he was modeling. And then he just pushes us into a direction to look at a lot of people. And so we're just going to run through this sort of quickly. I don't have that spiritual gift. But we're just going to look at these and, uh, and see what he has to say to us, starting in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon, because Demas has deserted me, since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Trous. With Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. Okay, so, so right off the bat, he gives us nine examples, nine different people um, that we need to, to look at. Now, to, to kind of set this up, we don't sit in judgment really over these people, but I think Paul has said enough about them that we can draw some conclusions. And this is what I did in my Bible. I, I went through all of these first names, and because Paul brings in some past or he, or he speaks forward into the future, there's kind of a how they were, how they're going to be thought. And I just put, like, were they, were they good in, their, in the early life? They got a plus, and if they were good in, in how they finished, 
their life, they also got a plus. And so there's some plus plus people in here. Now, the, 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 the positive guys uh, that were listed, it, they're not sinless. It's just that they did a good job. And then there's some plus minus, and there's some minus plus, and then there's one guy just hanging out in the minus minus uh, that struggled. And I wrote those in my Bible. And so as we go through there, if you want to make that just like, hey, these guys were positive, these guys were negative, as we're thinking about his final instructions to us and why he mentions all these people, then you can do this. All right, first off, the first sentence, make every effort to come to me soon. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy's a plus plus, okay? He's just that guy. I mean, he's, he's, the letter is to him. Come quickly to me. He asked him that in verse 9. He asked him that again in verse 21. I, I need, like, I think the urgency there for Timothy to come and visit him. Uh, one, Paul knows that this is the end. Uh, two, like, he, he just wants to see his spiritual son. I think Paul's ultimate desire is to go be with Jesus because he said that multiple times. This is far better. But, but I get a comfort in you coming here. Um, I read this from uh, theologian John Stott. He said that one sometimes meets super spiritual people who claim that they never feel lonely and they have no need for friends. For the companionship of Christ satisfies all their needs. But human friendship is the loving provision of God for mankind. Okay, so those that are like, I don't need people. I don't need friends. I don't need close friends. They are straight up lying to you. God didn't design it that way. You're, you're created for community and to find encouragement in community. Paul is longing and he's close to be in heaven. He's like, hey, bro, I need you here. You're, you're just a, a close personal friend and, and I need you here. Timothy is that guy from beginning to the end. Like you, you need to find a Timothy uh, that's just with you. Then he goes on uh, to Demas. Uh, while people can, can be wonderful sources of joy, they can also be sources of encouragement. And Demas has deserted me. Why has he deserted me? This is, that deserted me is a pretty strong word here. When you look at it, it means that he utterly abandoned him and left him in a dire situation. It's not that he left him in a really positive place. He's like, hey, I'm out. In the worst of times, I'm leaving you. He has abandoned him. His desertion, his desertion of Paul kind of brought pain to Paul. Enough for him to mention, to put him on blast in Scripture is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, when we, you go through and you're looking at this guy's life in other passages, uh, he was a co-worker to Paul. We see that in Colossians chapter 4 um, and even in uh, Philemon verse 24. And in both of those passages, his name, Demas' name is, is there with Luke's name. But Demas was a positive for a while who just abandoned Paul in his greatest time of need. And so beside his name, he's, he gets a plus minus. He's just, he's just, he started well, didn't finish very well. Then... Uh, Crescens, he's gone to Galatia. Titus, the Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Um, he, he goes after these guys, and then uh, Tychicus is mentioned in there too. And so uh, Demas deserts Paul. The other three have received the apostles' blessing and have left um, to go do other things. Uh, Christians and Titus have been sent out on mission. Uh, Titus, we know, he gets, he gets a letter also. He's a plus plus Cretans is a plus plus in the things that they're doing. He's just like a positive thing for him. We don't see anything else in the New Testament about him. Um, but if you go back and jump into some history, he um, is connected with churches all along the Aegean Sea. Uh, and that's kind of his ministry. And so we know that he was faithful if other people were writing about him. Paul's just like, hey, he's been sent out. He was an encouragement to me before. He's doing faithful the faithful work of God now. He is that encouragement. Titus is that 
encouragement to me. Uh, Tychicus, who is also an encouragement, just a, a positive, positive for him. He really just demonstrates a consistent life of faithfulness to Paul and to Christ. Uh, the thing that he's most known for, uh, those of you who have de- uh, remember when we walked through Colossians and, and heard this, he's the guy who delivered the letters written by Paul to the church in Colossae, uh, to the church in Ephesus. He's hand-delivering these. He was trusted to be like, this needs to go to the churches. I trust you, go. He's probably the guy who's delivering this letter. Um, he probably was being sent to Timothy um, to, to hand-deliver this, and so that when he got the letter, he could go, hey, you're going to read this, but Paul really needs you to come. That's how much he was trusted. These are faithful men, the three of them who have been sent out, uh, and they encouraged Paul and were also playing a role in Paul's further encouragement to have people come back to him. Then Luke is in there. Uh, it says, only Luke is with me. This isn't like a sad thing. Everybody needs a good Luke in their life, right? Ain't that right, Hoppy? Everybody needs a good Luke. Um, and, and this isn't a negative where he goes, hey, only Luke. It's not like, hey, come visit me because I don't really have a, a friend. It's Dr. Luke, and he's annoying. Like, he's just been following me around. No, this is the guy that Paul calls out. Colossians 4.14, he is my dearly loved physician. Just a, like he, he trusts this guy. He's a positive, positive. He's a loyal friend and companion for all of Paul's journey. He he is the contrast to Demas, who has abandoned him. Uh, Luke was this tough friend for tough times. He was with Paul um, in prison from the first time that he was there. We see that all the way until the last time. He was also Paul's biographer, uh, writing about him and for him. All of the we passages that you have in the book of Acts indicate that they were together. As Paul is starting his ministry, as he's walking through his ministry, Luke is just his guy all the time in difficult times. And so he's excited that he's here, so it's not just like only Luke is here. It's a good thing that Luke is there. Then you got Mark. Um, So we got plus plus with Luke. Mark is a minus plus. He's a negative positive. Because here's here's Mark's deal. Um, He says, bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. Mark's story is encouraging in this space, but because he he started out with a lot of privileges that um, kind of made him like the... Uh, the annoying church kid, we're just going to call him that, um, because it more than likely uh, Mark's mother's house was one of the main places that the Jerusalem church met when it started. Peter joined the disciples in this home after miraculously getting out of prison in Acts 12 when um, that whole story plays out. This is probably, we can't prove this, but a lot of people would agree that this is probably the house where the Last Supper was eaten. That's a bragging right. Hey, that whole Last Supper thing, that was at my house. Like, that's the card that this guy plays. Um, And he was an eyewitness to Jesus. And more than likely, if you want to have a funny story where he puts himself on blast, in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is arrested and some some little boy (laughs) takes off running, it's kind of a young man at this point, it says he's running away in just his underwear, is basically what it says. And a guard tried to grab him and tore it off of him, and he ran away naked. More than likely, this is this guy. And I love that he writes that about himself. And so he is really, really familiar with the life and ministry of Jesus. He's got an inside track. He he gets all of the right cards for him. But when Paul is on his first missionary journey, Mark goes with him. And for some reason, Mark gets sent home in Acts chapter 13. 
It's just like he was acting a fool and he needs to go. And then later, uh, Barnabas wants to bring Mark with them on their missionary journey. And Paul's like, you can't bring him. He's not allowed to go with us. And at this point, Barnabas and Mark go one way and Paul and Silas go another way. And this is the, like the early ministry of Mark. And then you get to this part of it and Mark gets restored and is present with Paul in Colossians chapter four in his first imprisonment. Paul calls him a, co- a co-worker uh, in Philemon verse 24. He, he gets this elevated status. Even First uh, Peter 5, 13 Uh, Peter mentions Mark as his son in the same way that Paul talks about Timothy being that and Titus being that. He's restored to this point. And this is like 20 years after they have been separated. Paul says, hey, bring Mark. He is an encouragement to me. Mark makes the short list of companions that Paul wants. Like his story should just give us hope. Despite rejection, shame, hurt, failure, Mark is restored into right relationship with Paul. And I think this is the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Um, And then we get to see, because of that, a really, really cool part of the gospel in the gospel of Mark and and him writing his view of Jesus. And it's one of the more unique ones um, that we see. Carpus, verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that left in Trous, left it with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchment. He mentions Carpus in his request to Timothy. Hey, I need my stuff back from him. Okay, one, he wants his books. It's important as a pastor just to have your books. One, he, he wants his clothes, his cloak mainly because it's cold where he's at. Um, we give Carpus a plus plus in this point. Why? Because Paul trusted him enough to leave his stuff there. We think that he was probably arrested there, that he was hanging out at his house, um, and his stuff was there. We don't know a whole lot about him except that he was a guy who kept Paul's stuff, that he guarded the truth. And, and we really do see Paul's humanness in this space. Um, I, I read this from John Stott. also says, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual, it is human. And, and this is a guy who's just like, hey, at the end, I need these things. I need, I need my friends. And I would love my books. I would love to be warm. Could you take care of me? And then Alexander, poor guy. Alexander gets that minus minus. Verse 14, Alexander, the coppersmith, did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Verse 15, watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. He's an obvious opponent to Paul. He's an obvious opponent to the gospel. He, he notes that he did great harm for me, that he, to me, that he strongly opposed our words. He may have been involved, probably involved in Paul's second arrest. Um, he was probably, as this coppersmith, he, more than likely he was a guy who uh, made idols and was irritated that Paul was <laughs> preaching that people shouldn't worship these idols, and so he was hurting his business. Um, and, and so he's more than likely involved in this arrest, and Paul mentions Alexander, we've talked about this before, in 1 Timothy, um, in 1 Timothy 1.20, where he says, Alexander, I delivered over to Satan. That are, that's some strong words, all right? If somebody ever, like, if I'm like, hey, that guy, I just delivered him over to Satan, that's, that means I don't like you, all right? That's kind of what that, what that is. I don't trust you, and I don't like you. He's been delivered over to Satan. And Paul tells Timothy two things about him. First, the, the Lord's going to repay him for his works, because the Lord is a righteous judge who's going to render the ultimate judgment 
on this guy. And second, he says, watch out for him. I think he's still acting, be on guard, because he wants to oppose the work that we're doing. So here's, here's the nine that he, for some reason, at the end of his last letter, reminds Timothy of. Here's who you can trust. Here's who you can't trust. We don't see a whole lot about any of these people, but Paul really does call them up to the forefront in still what we call the early days of the church, telling Timothy who he can and who he can't trust. For eternity, these people's name are on a list. It's wild to think about, but, but they get called out or called up, and Timothy is made aware of them. And then he turns the corner in, we'll, we'll, we're going to skip 16, we're going to go to verse 19 to this benediction. Greet Prissa and Aquila, this, this is husband and wife, and the household of Anisiphorus. Rastrus, who's remained in Corinth, I left Trophima sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. These, these are people that are, are faithful old friends and faithful new friends to Paul. We look at this list of names compared to the other list of names, and you got a husband and wife who befriended Paul in Corinth. He stayed with them for a while. We see that in Acts chapter 18. Um, they were also tent makers, which was Paul's uh, job, and so they worked together. They are co-workers, not only physically, but also co-workers for the gospel. They're probably still in Ephesus at this point. They accompanied Paul before uh, he left for Caesarea in Acts chapter 18. They are just like these steady examples of faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus. He brings back Onesiphorus. We talked about him in chapter 1 and that household. It's just like the refreshing friend that he had in Rome. Um, he loves these people. Uh, Erastus and Trophimus, uh, these are also mutual friends that are mentioned here. It's like, hey, these are people that can be trusted. Romans 16, he talks about them, that these are, these are faithful people. In fact, it's the city treasurer who, who keeps track of the money. Like you can, this is, these are guys that you can trust with your life. And then he goes on, uh, Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, Claudia, the brothers. Nothing is known about these people <laughs> at all. They appear to be part of the church in Rome since their names are joined with like all of the brothers and sisters. One tradition that, that I read places Linus as the one who became the first bishop of Rome following the martyrdom of Paul after, after Paul was killed. Um, and these are new friends combined with old friends who are faithful saints through the years who've blessed the body of Christ. And while they are unknown to us, they are not unknown to God. They are famous to God in the same way that we talked about Andrew this morning. And this is the encouragement. Your service, known and unknown, that makes you famous or makes you less famous even, does not go unnoticed. It does not go unnoticed in our church. It does not go unnoticed um, in, in heaven. It doesn't go unnoticed to the people that you are serving. The church has been blessed and enriched and strengthened and encouraged by unknown faithful people who serve. I got to see that today in you. Like, most of you weren't here. I don't know, anybody in this room come to the town hall meeting except for me and Jason? Yeah, that's not like a cool place that college students hang out at. Um, I'm going to record this in podcast world forever. Uh, Daniel Webb got called a Nazi twice um, in this meeting. Y'all are like, that's not funny. I, did, I don't know why it was funny at that meeting, too. They just kept throwing that word out. They called him a cleaning Nazi and a number Nazi um, during the meeting in a polite way. It was fun. Our town hall meetings are wild. You need to come hang out at them. Uh, a couple years ago, we challenged the freshman guys to come to a meeting and see if they could get a pool installed. Um, it didn't work. They failed at that, but it was a cool attempt. Part of that, that gathering, part of the conversations that we're having, 
If you didn't come to the town hall or you didn't see that, they're looking at building a balcony in this room. They want to put 500 more people in this room. A lot of that's your fault. And it's not just because you're showing up. It's not just because college students like to be here. Okay? This is what has happened. You, you are, the Lord is bringing you here. The Lord is doing something cool here. You're a part of it. But then you go and you serve in kids. And you serve in youth. And you're greeting people as they're coming in. And you're driving vans. I don't know why they even trust you guys to do that. You're, you're helping park you bring an energy into this space. You're serving faithful in college ministry and so many other spaces. You're flipping rooms here and in Spanish, and, and you're using your gifts and your talents, and our people are ministered to, and they're blessed, and they're showing up because of your efforts. Like you're making church more enjoyable and more fun for people. And this morning, when we do this whole Fifth Sunday flip thing, I, it's just like numerous of our older, I call them northerners because I think old people just sounds mean. They're farther north than we are. They're farther up. And so I was like, the northerners just keep showing up. And they're like, hey, I love it when these kids show up. They don't know how to dress, but it's funny to look at. And they get so excited about that because you bring an energy and a passion. But also, like, there's a hope because these are people who have worked. They, they've poured out. They've given. They've sacrificed. Like, this building doesn't exist without people that came a long time before you who gave money and who dreamed out loud and who trusted God. And all of that, hear me, like, like I'm selfish with that, and they're selfish with that because they don't want their work to be in vain. And so then they see you, and they, they are filled with great hope because, because our church has just been spoiled with college students who love being here, who, who aren't idiots running around here, who, who are kind and compassionate. Sometimes you are. They're kind and they're compassionate, and, and, and they're nice to people. And you're living all those things out. And so some of the, the older generation in our church look at you and go, there's hope. Like, I want these college students to stay because what we built is being used, and I want it to echo for a long time. And this is what Paul is doing. He's going, hey, your service and your faithfulness and the way that you're chasing after God is not, it, like, it's not invisible. You're making an impact, and you guys are making an impact in the church. And we want this to echo. Because I, like, I, I love you being here, and, and I want you to continue to come. I want to keep serving you food, and I want to do all of those things. But we're, we're, we're realists enough. We can see into the future enough, not, future, not fortune tellers, but we can see in the future enough to know that your time here is two, three, four years. And then the Lord, sometimes in his kindness, will allow you to stay at our church. A majority of the time, the Lord is sending you to other spaces all around the world. And so you're going to be sent out. And so we know that our calling is to equip and encourage you to serve and to love the local church. And so when you leave here, you go to another place and you do that. And you go to another place and you do that. And, and all of those spaces are better because of you. They're better because you are honoring the Lord with the gifts that he has given you and you're giving them back to him and you're serving in spaces. And we want that to just continue to be our MO, that we're just sending people out. We're seeing them graduate, we're praying for them, and we're like, hey, go. Like, we're sad, but go and make an impact in the world. And this is what Paul is calling these people to. There's a reason that he mentions their names. And, and, and sometimes we, we kind of, I'm this way, like, I don't want to be celebrated, I don't want to be known, I don't want people to hype me up. But when, when God is using you in, this, in these spaces, then sometimes somebody's going to put you in a book. I'm going to go, hey, this is a faithful example of serving, and you should model it. But why? We went from these nine that were listed here, then we jumped down to his like old and new faithful friends. But this is what he does in verse 16. Because in the middle of all of this encouragement, there's a little bit of a discouragement here. 
At my first defense, which is his first trial, no one stood by me. Here's, here's all of my people. I got new friends. I got old friends. I got encouraging friends. But at this first defense, no one stood by me. Everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Like this, this is Paul, I think, really clearly emulating Jesus. Like we know towards the end of Jesus' life, this kind of became a thing. Hey, you guys, would you come and pray with me in the garden? You can't even stay awake. He, he started to feel that a little bit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, like, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me here? Like, I, like I, get, I get why, and I know that Jesus knew that plan, but it was still difficult, like that was hard. Like, these, these people, do you see how they're treating me? Do you see that, like, they, they beat me in the streets? Like, I'm, I'm bloody, and I had to carry my cross up this hill, and, and now I'm on display in front of all of these people. They're doing that to me. God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, by the way, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and this is what Paul does here. Everybody has left. God, don't hold it against them. He, he puts himself in a position where we go, this is difficult. This is sad. Like, I, my heart goes out to you. But Paul displays Christ in a, in a really cool way. May it not be counted against them. Why? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. Like that, that's, he's the minister of the Gentiles. That's his goal, and the Lord was with him, and it, the Lord gave him strength so he could continue to preach. And so, so we see in the midst of these examples of being faithful to serve, Paul is starting to put on display in this little bitty section what it requires for you to be faithful to serve. What do you need? What attribute do you need in your life that you can, with your life, pour it out so that you can serve other people well? The first one is you, you need the Lord's presence. You, you, just, you need God. You need a constant relationship with God because Paul does a great job of going, look at these people. These people are great. We've got a lot of positive, positive people over here. We've got these new friends at the end that I'm going to tell you about. But when it got difficult, they're gone. Okay, And you may have some of the best friends in the world. They're going to let you down. I'm not saying they're going to abandon you when things get difficult. I hope that never happens. But we have a standard as humans that pretty much zero people can meet. This won't. Okay? The people that I trust most in my life are going to fail me. It, it just, it, it's just true. Why? Because I'm surrounded with sinners. Okay? Wretched ones. Terrible ones. Of which I am the greatest. And you can say that about yourself also. And so if your hope is in people's presence, surrounding yourself with really good people, you're going to be let down. You need their encouragement, but they can't be your ultimate source of joy and satisfaction and strength. That only comes from God. And so he says, first, all these people abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me. The first thing, you really just need the Lord's presence. Your ability to serve, your ability to put Christ on display, your ability to be uh, an effective asset to the church are all because of God's presence in your life. That's the first one. So throughout all of this gospel, this is the thing that you should be like, I just need to experience God. I need to understand that he's with me. I need his, I need his presence with me all the time. Paul's, Paul's dominant concern in his life was not himself, but it was the message of Christ displayed to people. And the only way that that happened as he, as he preached was that he knew that God was with him. In the midst of all of the threats, in the midst of all of the difficulty, in the midst of all of the things that he walked through, he just knew that in the end it was going to be okay because God was with him. 
The second one, he says this from verse 17 going into verse 18. So that the Gentiles might hear the last sentence. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. If you want to do something cool, you can take these three verses, 16, 17, and 18, and go back to Psalm 22 and compare them because this is what Paul's doing right here. He's basically quoting Psalm 22 um, in this, in his mind and even in his writing going, I feel alone, but God, he's rescuing me, and, and he's putting himself in this cool kind of situation that we see in Psalm 22. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Not only does he need the Lord's presence, he needs the Lord's rescue. Now, we, we know that he's near death at this point. We, we know that he's fixing to die. Um, but he's, he's saying the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's just standing confident in the fact that the Lord was going to fulfill his promises. Like we just need the Lord's rescue in our life. We need to understand what that is. Um, want, I just look at it this way. God is my source of strength. God gives me the message to preach. God protects me from the evil. And God will bring me to heaven. That's the, that's the only way to look at it. So when I think about God being my rescue, it's, he is my strength right now. He has given me the message to preach. He's going to protect me as I do it. And he's going to complete his promises by bringing me to heaven. That's all that I need. He's my rescue. He deserves the glory because all of these things are his fault. As Paul often would say, and he says here, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of these, this rescue is his fault. And then he goes through his like, hey, these are my people, all right? And then he goes to verse 22. And he says this, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Close the book. His last words pinned on this planet. The Lord be with you in your spirit. Grace be with you all. His opening to 2 Timothy is much like his closing of 2 Timothy in the midst of the apostle who went through more junk than anybody beaten and battered and broken and longing for heaven, who has experienced God's amazing grace in ways that, that I don't want to be able to comprehend. I'm just going to say that out loud. I don't want to walk through the things that Paul has walked through. But the fact that he has, and he's experienced God's grace in the way that he has, he's a testimony of the gospel of grace, who went from, I'm going to murder Christians, to I'm going to be the mouthpiece of God, for all of earthly time, basically. I, you can't win the argument that anybody had more of like a, a, a louder voice than Paul in the church. Is this reflection of God's grace in unbelievable ways closes in his final words by praying for the Savior's grace to strengthen and power Timothy, for the Savior's grace to strengthen and power the church. And as you pursue faithfulness to God, you can rest in our Savior's grace because our God is completely faithful. And when you understand those two things, that I can trust his grace because my God is faithful, then you can walk in this 
this idea that he's going to give you the strength to finish what he's called you to. That's Philippians 4.13 that we often use out of context because it's a completely negative context there where he says, I can do all things. And all of those things in Paul's mind as he's writing were negative. They were difficult. They were challenging. He knew that God was going to call him into a journey that, that he needed God's grace and God's faithfulness. And in that, knowing those two things, then he could walk in God's strength. And if you will spend your days walking in God's strength, when they put you in your casket, like we talked about last week, then you can go and join Paul and celebrate that God sustained you through all of it. That's it. That's what God is calling you to, to to know his grace, to trust his faithfulness, and to walk in his strength. You do that pretty well. We're going to continue to challenge you to do that. I want you you to, to, to be in that space. I want to give you the opportunity to. And so this week and next week, um, you're going to hear about this next week a whole lot more as we introduce a, a couple other things to you. Um, I'm going to call you up, um, and I'm going to do this, and the band's going to come up and play. Um, right now, we are recruiting for all of our service teams for 23 and 24. It's, it's basically National Signing Day right now. And so you're like, hey, I'm going to pick up the children's ministry hat, and I'm going to put it on. I'm taking my talents to kids' ministry. What I want you to do, if you know that the Lord is calling you to to serve the local church, we want it to be here, but if it's not here, let us help you find that spot. We want you to go ahead and commit to it. If you know what your service spot is right now, don't do this, okay? But if you don't have a place to serve and you know that next fall you need that space, go ahead and fill this out. We are gonna send those over to every department that needs people. They're gonna be contacting you starting now throughout the summer, so when you roll back up in August, you already have your spot. You don't have to look for your spot. You just jump right in. Jump right in and serve. Um, because that's the thing that's going to make our church just considerably strong. All right? Because it, I was thinking about this as, as we were worshiping. When you, when you come back in the fall, it's going to be about six weeks, and we're going to be in our new space, in the new college space. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of needs in that space that, that we need filled. But there's also just going to be growth across every area of our church. And the only way that that we are going to fit the college students that the Lord is going to bring next year is if a big chunk of you are serving in other spots. Like, I need you out of the room because we need room for guests. I need some of you in the room to minister to guests, but you need to be ministering in kids and in youth and greeting and on worship teams and in AV booths and running cameras and, and all of those things. So pick your spot. Pray about that if you need to. You can, you have this week. We're gonna do the same thing next week because this is what God's word calls you to. Understand God's grace, believe God's faithfulness, and serve in his strength, the body. Let me pray for you. You can fill that out. We're gonna worship, uh, and then we'll close here in a second. God, thank you again for, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it pushes us into spaces. God, and we thank you that for some strange reason, like, like I don't get it, some strange reason you use broken people to minister to other broken people. And so this this room is filled with young men and young women with gifts and passions. Uh, Would you use them starting now and even throughout all of next year just to to spoil the church with a reflection of Christ as they serve in those ways. And I think about as we wrap up this book and we kind of step into the summer, would we this summer learn to trust you more? Like would we understand your grace that, that pushes us to understand your faithfulness and then walk in your strength? May that just be a goal that we set forth this summer. We would come back changed and would serve with a, with a new passion. 
Um, but all of those things, like our serving ability is, is found in just a deep relationship with you. And we got to figure that out first. And so by your spirit, would you draw us to yourself? And then we see all, of, all those other things come to life. And we trust you in that in Jesus' name. Amen.